Hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm an IVF warrior and infertility advocate using my platform to spread awareness about infertility. And I'm Elizabeth. I'm a certified fertility coach, life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. I'm here to support and serve the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your baby home and everything along the way. Welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Where we talk about the dreams and dilemmas of life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. We hope you enjoy this episode. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Okay, welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Today we welcome John Waldman. He's a writer and author based out of Winnipeg, Canada. He has a book called Swimming Aimlessly, Getting Men to Talk About Infertility. John, I will let you further introduce yourself, but welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's great to speak with both of you today. Uh, yeah, so um, I've been an infertility patient and advocate, um, one preceding the other, obviously. Um, but uh, I've been uh, active in the infertility community in Canada um, since 2009. Um, my wife and I uh, went through six years of an infertility journey before having our daughter in 2015. Um, since then, um, I've and preceding that, I did a number of interviews uh, locally and a couple nationally uh, for various publications here. Uh, gave a TEDx talk um, in 2017 uh, as I was starting to discover more and more that uh, men are not uh, talking about infertility, nor are they in, at odd times given the platform to do so. Um, and then that ended up leading to the book, which is now uh, mere days away from releasing. Congratulations on your book. Thank you. Thank you. So how, oh, go ahead, Kelsey. Sorry. So oh, no, tell just, us about that six year journey. And yeah. how, how did you how did it all come about? I mean, we both have been on the path, but neither of us have dealt with male factor in our situation. So how where in the journey of you and your wife did you figure something was going on? Yeah, it was pretty early on. Um, we were married in 2007 and, and waited a little bit to have kids just as up school, getting established a career and such. Um, ultimately, we found that we were having trouble conceiving. Um, after nine months, we had uh, a miscarriage. Or sorry, after, after nine months, we had a successful conception, but we did miscarry um, a few weeks into the pregnancy. Um, at that point, we figured, okay, you know, something might be up um, just because we had, had taken us a while to get uh, to get anywhere. And we were diagnosed fairly quickly uh, with unexplained infertility. Uh, while there was uh, testing done, we discovered that I had a lower motility in my sperm, not the end of the world, but still something that needed to be corrected. Uh, my wife had uh, female factor issues as well. So we were uh, mixed factor for much of the of the uh, of the time, but I was able to take a couple easy measures uh, to correct my fertility issues. Um, but ultimately, we had uh, we went through a couple different spots. So, when you say easy measures, what does that mean? Um, it, it means I didn't have to go through any major tests or anything like that. The swim up test determined uh, the low motility, and because it wasn't severe, it was more of just. Uh, eating healthier, eating better, um, trying a couple of 
uh, remedies such as goji berries and such, uh, rather than having to go on major medications like Clomid for myself or anything like that. And did you find that that was helpful? Doing those things helped your situation? Absolutely. I mean, uh, oh, good. One, of the, one of the key recommendations, of course, is to uh, get in better shape and to you know, lay off some of the more tempting yet <laughs> bad for you foods, but yeah. certainly having things like uh, augmenting with goji berries and having um, other parts uh, certainly helped as well, um, along with just being more active and being more carefully active, not going on hour-long bikes necessarily, right. but doing things that would, um, that were more, you know, like running based and, thing, and such. That's amazing. I love the fact that for men, they really can see the difference pretty quickly, right? As far as doing some lifestyle changes, it's, it's definitely something as opposed for women, right? We, we don't really know if we're affecting our egg quality or not, but we hope that we are. Whereas men, they can get it tested and say, yeah, this, this actually worked and the effort that was put in is helpful. In some cases, yes. I mean, in cases like mine where it wasn't a major thing, like I didn't have, um, say, a zero sperm count or um, you know, major motility or morphology issues. Um, other yeah. men you know, have gone through lots of, a variety of tests, um, had major uh, supplement, uh, drug supplements and such. Um, but there are some methods that you can do. Um, and, it, and, it, and it really comes down to some of the general health guidelines that you uh, want to pay a little bit more close attention to. Um, along with that, you know, there's certain myths um, about what can and can't cause uh, male factor infertility, but certainly doing things like moving your cell phone from your front pocket to a jacket yeah. pocket or something like that, um, having less heat in the area certainly helps as well. Mm -hmm. Great. So Elizabeth and I always talk about how we wanted to have a guy come on because you always hear about the women's perspective and there's not a lot of men that talk about it. So like, how was that conversation with your wife? Like, was she fine with you kind of coming out and being open and writing a whole book about it? Um, because sometimes like one partner or the other is like very open, like that's how it is for me. At least my husband's very private and is like, oh God, you're putting all this out there. Um, was she pretty supportive and like how, and also like what inspired you to actually write the book? Um, to speak first about my wife, she's been wonderfully supportive of me doing it. She's much the same. She's very private. However, she knows that what I'm doing um, from the start was to help others in this situation because men often don't talk about infertility or they don't have um, a lot of discomfort in it, especially before a lot of the more recent events, like more podcasts, more uh, Facebook groups and such that cater to men specifically. Um, but she she also has her has her has her privacy, and I completely respect that. And you know, she we were even talking a couple of days ago about you know is she going to have to do anything um, as I am up promoting the book? And I said no. You know, this if if anybody comes, we can talk about it. But to me and to to a lot of people, like this is it's more about talking about the path that men are taking and need to take a lot more. Um, ultimately, what drove me to the, writing the book was that there really isn't a lot in the space right now. Um, you look at a lot of the infertility books that are out there. Um, first of all, many of them are very medical or very advice driven. Uh, so I wanted to have something out there that was um, a little bit, for lack of a better term, calmer, a little bit easier to digest in the language, uh, but also something that spoke directly to men and to couples about how men are, are going through the 
um, through the motions and through the various complications that come up with uh, with infertility um, by the male factor mixed or female factor. There's mental health issues that come up. There's financial issues that you have to, to address. There's relationships, both with your partner, with your family and with friends and people in general um, as you're going through all of these different paths. So I really felt like there needed to be a better conversation about it. And after doing my TED talk, I found that I was able to get my voice down a little bit better and was able to take um, a, not a lighthearted approach, but to take a light approach to it um, and make it something that was more approachable and something that where you weren't feeling like you were reading through academia, but you were getting the facts, you were getting some of the feelings that you know you're not alone um, as you look through some of the fi figures that I present, um, as well as the stories that I share, both mine and for, of individuals really across the world. And how did you find support when you were going through it? Where, where did you turn to when you were discovering this process for yourself? It was harder. Um, a lot of the avenues that I talked about weren't out there yet. Uh, uh -huh. For us, we had uh, the Infertility Awareness Association of Canada, now known as Fertility Matters Canada, providing in-person support groups that I went to with my wife. Um, I was a little bit more comfortable talking than most men were. Um, men that, that came were sort of the, yep, uh-huh, that's right, that's what we're doing, variety, uh, versus outwardly talking about how they were feeling. But to me, I've always been one to share a little bit more and one to discuss a little bit more openly. Um, comes with a background of being in marketing and PR. So it was something that I felt like I needed to um, that I needed to be able to speak. And it took a long time for me to speak there, but to, to also speak to with friends, with family, and even with my wife. It was not something that was easy to do. And I, I'll admit that I, there were times that I broke down crying um, just from the emotion of letting all this out. And did you find that opening up to people that they were receptive to that or were they like oh we you know this is a little too much information that we you're sharing with us or how how did people react to that well it's, it's certainly one thing um is that when you are going through infertility there in your mind nothing is too much information because this is um really such in theory such a, a, a private aspect of your yeah. life yeah but you the all sensors go away very quickly um so yeah there were certainly topics that that in general men would not talk about and despite the stereotype of lock uh that men's talk is you know the locker room talk and all that kind of jazz um guys generally stay on very surface conversations about right. home improvement about um about work about kids and that kind of thing mm -hmm. um so talking with men was very difficult and a few of my friends really did try to uh skirt the conversation or bring it back to the quote unquote safety zones that men yeah. have. Um, right. But in general, I found that women were more receptive to it. And for me, it, it helped because I've always had an easier time talking to women in the first place. Great. I know for me, I have three boys. So it's very dear to my heart that this conversation is an open thing, especially with the, you know, the rates declining as dramatically as they are these days. Um, mm -hmm. I do want to have this a normalized conversation so that men feel not ashamed of it and and realize, you know, there are avenues to get support and to get help and to hopefully, you know, like you said, depending on what your situation is to turn that around. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is important. And 
I, I, it's a part of a, of a society shift in general. Um, for decades upon decades, men were taught to hide their emotions, to rub some dirt on it, get back in the game. Um, it's a theme that we that even I grew up with in the 80s and 90s. Um, there's been a little bit more of a liberation where guys are allowed to be more in touch with their emotions and to express their emotions. Uh, when you look just at the general line of mental health and how guys are able to talk about it more, uh, thanks to some of the trailblazers uh, in the area, it has been an overall cultural shift. And yet, for men to talk about infertility or to talk about other aspects like this, it is still hard. And, it's, and a lot of it is going to take, it's going to take 10 to 15 years for it to be completely normalized. Uh, mm -hmm. But the more that conversations are open and the more that, um, that, that friends and both genders are open to these conversations and are encouraging and listening when those little cues come up that's, that a male is ready to talk, it becomes that much easier. Yes, I agree. A lot of people don't realize either is, you know, a lot of people think it's all on the women. And, you know, I think, what is it, 40% is actually contributes to the male as well. And so the males do play a big part in this and just ha having those emotions and feelings and stuff. And in your journey, you know, you said it was what, six years it's been? Yeah, have you found that along the way that there had like you've seen more kind of support for men, or is it still pretty based around the women and stuff like that? There's two parts to that. First of all, that the supports are often female driven. So even if you look at support groups, um, be it online, be it in person, uh, you're looking at the majority of membership being female. Uh, thankfully, mm -hmm. there are some avenues that I talk about in the book that are now more open for men exclusively. And in conversation with uh, one male in particular, he found that the mixed gender uh, support groups online were more intimidating for him. Uh, mm -hmm. So he found a lot of solace and comfort in finding a, a men's only group. Um, yeah. But along with that, there is a, a recognized lack of even research and professionalism when it comes to dealing with male factor infertility and dealing with men and infertility in general. Um, the research has been painfully small um, when you look at what, what it what ultimately is half of the equation. Um, mm -hmm. that there hasn't been a, a lot of research into sperm counts uh, dropping or that um, or how environmental aspects might be affecting sperm right as we are learning more and more about how much, just how much sperm uh, count has decreased in the last few decades. Um, thankfully, it's starting to turn around, but it's still coming at a time where you're decades be behind where it was for studying female factor infertility. And mm -hmm. it's something that, it, that, as that as the research starts to change and a lot of the research conversations happen more, you're gonna get the offshoot of more men being able to talk about what their, their issues are because at, at the moment, you know, while, while you can talk about certain things that you can do, like the traditional Chinese medicine that I was uh, that I was embarking on, um, they can help. But in a lot of cases, when you're looking, when you're talking about guys who have zero sperm count or you have the various conditions that they have, you're looking at men running into a brick wall, which mm -hmm. is never a good thing for a male to do because we're stubborn folk. Um, mm -hmm. And ultimately, the more that the more that the that is done, the more that research that happens, the more that um, that companies take a serious look at at you know is Clomid, uh, for example, uh, a, a help for men, or does it? How much does it actually do? Um, 
there's a lot that still needs to be done. Right. So when you say just touching on people that have yes. zero sperm count, I know right now on the female side, egg donation is is actually picking up some steam. So if, if mm -hmm. someone comes to a doctor and they say, I recommend egg donation, it's not as much of a shock that used to be maybe 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Do you find the same for men? If they were to, a doctor were to say, maybe we should consider a sperm donation, is it hard hard to get their head around that? Maybe for several reasons, I would imagine. One, just you always imagine you are going to pass down your genetics as a man, right? There's this mm -hmm. manly ego thing around that, as well as, you know, how do you explain that to the people around you, right? There do you is, have there, any conversations around that? There is, and there, and I spoke with a couple guys who, who went through that, and there's a lot of, there are more men who have written about it either in blogs or been interviewed about it um, in online media um, but ultimately what it comes down to and it's the same thing no matter what you're doing whether you're seeking egg donation whether you're seeking at the very root of it IVF which mm -hmm. is takes a lot of the natural parts of uh, of reproduction out of the equation it all it comes down to what you're comfortable with and for some guys they'll say that you know I'm not comfortable with with having uh, another genetic um series in my in my kids in my kids being and um but it, uh, and it's the same way that a woman might say that you know i don't want to do egg donation or i'm not comfortable doing ivf because of, of the potential harm that it does to my body so it's a that's the, the very first conversation that has to happen is what is that comfort level going to be um and i think that guys are still a little bit fearful not just of what a sperm donor is and i think it's a little bit more um not popularized, but it's it's a little bit more well known about about uh, sperm banks and such. Uh, but I think that um, there's all. It also just comes down to you know what, how much does it mean to me to have a child versus having a, a child that is in my that falls in my footsteps. Um, right. Even and the the same conversation happens in adoption. Um, when we were at an adoption. Uh, stage in our uh, in our exploration and journey um, we we went into a session and one of the presenters uh, for, about adoption uh, talked about how when you're walking your son or daughter down the aisle there's that feeling of that they're not your kid but that's mm -hmm. all dependent on what you make it to be if it's mm -hmm. important for you to have to have that lineage there's p potential ways to do that but if it's all, but if it's that important to you that it has um, or if it's not that, that important to you, then ultimately it's about how you parent, it's about how you father, it's about how you are as a dad, then the factors of that lineage start to dissipate a little bit. And I think that guys are generally a little bit more accepting um, just because it has been around for a longer period uh, than, mm -hmm. uh, than egg donors. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit like where you're at in your journey now. Are you guys just kind of done? Have you... Are you going to do anything more? Or? Well, we had a, um, after a few years, we decided to try again um, uh -huh. with an IVF cycle. Um, so we went back out to Victoria, BC, where we had our first, and uh -huh. we had um, we had embryos frozen. And we we did a, a round of IVF that unfortunately wasn't successful. We had another um, another uh, round of, of loss. And we're, we're sort of just on this island now, not sure what we want to do. We, we're, we still have the embryos that, um, that have made it through. Um, we're, we're really not sure what to do. And we look at our daughter who is five years old. And for me, she is, 
she's a, a godsend she is an amazing little girl who is driving me crazy in some ways, <laughs> but all in a good way yeah. um and you know that it's, it's funny because i've had i've spoken with couples who have had uh secondary infertility and they say that you know they do it more because their kids are wanting a sibling and certainly our daughter has expressed that from time to time but you know we we've made created this environment for her where she is the center of our of a lot of our focus the center of a lot of our life um and if if something happens good if uh, nothing happens i'm taking this miracle that we have this uh little spitfire of a daughter <laughs> who is as recently as this weekend, throwing me around in her karate class, and oh. <laughs> and is absolutely loving it. it, it there's, it's, it's honestly the most amazing feeling in the world. Is that's great. So are you guys pretty open with her of how she was created, or is it not like a conversation you've really had with her yet? We haven't had with her yet, um, and it's uh -huh. one of those things where, um, you know, uh, a friend of mine in in Canada produced a, a children's book to help this, to help explain to their kids about how they came about. Um, we uh -huh. haven't told her fully that no, you you didn't come out of uh, out of mommy's tummy, tummy or weren't into mommy's tummy the same way that other kids were. Um, but you know, it's a conversation that we're that we're, we know we're going to have to have at some points because you know, like it or not, uh, she's going to grow up and she's going to have the same questions and. The hope, of course, is that she doesn't go through the same infertility issues mm -hmm. that we did, um, even though there have been, and I've seen it locally, that they're, they're now into a second, into two generations of kids that were produced via IVF. Mm -hmm. So you're really, it's it's something that's going to be a little more common than we, than we, of course, think, but it's still something, a conversation that's going to be important to have, especially as she starts to, to grow and wants to, and becomes more curious naturally. Right. As far as um, advice from a woman's perspective that we can give to the men, what do you suggest if we have a husband or a partner that's going through it? How, what's the best way to approach that situation to be sensitive to them, but at the same time, be open to whenever they're ready to discuss it? Like, how do you, how do you think we should go forward with that situation? I think one of the most important things is really to have that approach of being ready to listen, look for the cues of when he is ready to talk. Um, you can certainly encourage him, but at the same time, you know, it's hard and it's hard not to, but it's hard, but pushing the conversation and forcing the conversation isn't the greatest. I mean, to me, there is a lot more that, uh, damage that can be done by, um, by having an over-anxious partner and I get mm -hmm. it. It is so hard to control that. It is so hard, especially with women where the, the biological clock expires a little bit earlier than men by a good decade at least. Uh, so you're looking, so you're in more of a rush, quote unquote, than he is. So it's un, it's getting him to, to see your perspective, but it's also listening to his perspective and really understanding what he is saying about his condition and, or the family's condition and seeing that, okay, what are, what's the best way to do this? And at times, honestly, it takes having a third party in the room to have, uh, to have that conversation in full. Um, having a counselor, um, especially one that has a specialty in, uh, in family building and in infertility is certainly a big help. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's, but I think that ultimately guys, it, part of the equation is that guys have to speak up. 
Um, so provide that that uh, that open time and make sure that there isn't a lot of the what brought you together in the first place that is lost. And it's hard when you're dealing with having to scheduling sex, when you're having to um, yeah. have all the, you know, basal thermometers and everything else that goes with the equation, um, you really need to, to keep a lot of normalcy. So, you know, is it, is it the end of the world if a guy goes out for, um, for a night of drinking? Not, not at all, as long as it's not trying those few days around yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the time. But, but yeah, like I, I, to have a little bit of that air of normalcy and to, if, you, if, you, if you make things as comfortable as possible and just watch out verbally for the cues um, and see if, you know, if you're starting to surf around on, on, uh, on websites for advice or forums or just trying to read infertility articles to start with that basic discussion. Mm-hmm. And offer your book to them, right? Of course, of course. I think it's a great place to start because I think that's such a great thing that they can do on their own at their own time in their own space and kind of digest and process what's happening to them in their own way. And hopefully that will open them up to having more conversations about it, I think. That's my hope at least. Um, but certainly there's, yeah. the good thing is that um, along with the book being produced uh, physically and uh, in ebook form, there is a, uh, an audio format that is gonna be coming out as well. Um, the advantage there is that it's something that you can listen to while you're on a drive. Um, it's not my voice, uh, it's a professional artist, so they're not gonna get a lot of the ums and ahs in the middle of it, <laughs> that's what they will, but there, it's, it becomes a bit of a shared experience. And that's really how I built the book. It's talking about men and infertility, but it's aimed at couples. It's it's the there's chapters that are applicable to both partners, and there's chapters that focus more on men. But it it is but I made the language as easy as possible to for you to read together or listen to together. Great. And I just want to add real quick because um, you know it's important to keep continuously checking on your partner just because even though you've had a child, infertility doesn't go away. So even, you know, you're always constantly dealing with it. So I think it's important to stay consistent with that. So I just kind of wanted to add that in. And a lot of people think like, oh, they had a kid, they're fine. It's like, no, it's really not the case. So you constantly are dealing with it even after your child and everything. So um, I just wanted to add that little piece in, but. Absolutely. And that's one of the, one of the themes that I talk about in the book is that aftercare and looking after what your emotions are like. Um, even after my daughter was born, <coughs> I can remember sitting in a, in a parenting class and just having this feeling of still being on an island that our daughter, while she was coming along and while she was, um, everything was healthy, that she was still gonna be different and you can't help but feel different. You know, you, it's not something that's outwardly different like you couldn't tell that I was that I'm an IVF parent um, any more than you can tell it than you can tell my religion or anything like that just based on appearance unless I'm of course wearing an IVF t-shirt but mm-hmm. ultimately you, there is a uh, there is a lot of aftercare that has to happen and you're going to have those moments where um, where you'll especially if you hear of parents who had two or three kids and they're quote unquote done and then they have an oopsie or something like yeah. that um you you start you still feel it and you even if you're in an office once people can go back to offices um and you start to hear those announcements again um and you, and you when you hear them you start to feel like i wish i could have had the announcement differently that i didn't have to have this production of i was going through um 
all these different procedures. I had to go to Victoria, BC to have my daughter. Um, it certainly is something that jars me to this day. Um, and it's something that I think we need to be to, in general, pay better attention to um, as a society that not every kid is created the same way that there are, and that the parents still have those scars that never leave, whether it's physical or emotional. And it really changes a lot of the dialogue. Um, you try to analyze as much as you can. You try to think of yourself as a normal parent, but there's those, always those little moments, those trigger moments where you start to remember that, okay, this is, it was, was different for us. And it can be both positive or negative. It can be that, you know, you, that you, that you went through this through so much to endure and to have success. Um, and you have to look to celebrate those moments just as much as you do trying to, um, to mourn or to feel lesser than because you had to have an assist or something of that ilk. Mm -hmm. So you touch on the announcements. I know that's a huge deal for women. I've never heard a man speak of that before. I know for my husband, if he hears somebody, you know, we, a, a couple that's going for infertility, it really touches his heart because he's like, oh God, it's so stressful and it's so hard and I never want to go back there again. Um, but I've never heard somebody say about announcements. Do you think that that affects the men just the same or as much as the women? I think it's it certainly affects um, in in ways, but it's a little bit different. I think for men, um, it's more of experience and the moment versus um, versus other facets. You know, when a, when women start to get invited to baby showers and they're suffering from infertility, that's the hardest thing. Yeah, to have to watch somebody else celebrate something that you can't have. Um, right. For me, you know, it was it was more of okay, my kid, the my my buddy's kid is turning one. Um, this is a little bit harder for me because I want to be, you know, I wish I could be there, you know, mm -hmm. that's, um, and, you know, tossing a ball around as a, as a kid grows up and all those factors. Um, but certainly, you know, when you, your mind starts to race, when you hear these kind of announcements and you start to think about, you know, okay, how am I going to get there? Where am I going to get there? When am I going to get there? All those, am I ever going to get there? Is it going to have to be surrogacy? Is it going to be adoption is it going to be IVF is it going to be donor etc and those mo those those all those questions come up in part because guys by our nature are problem solvers and when we can't solve a problem we become stupid determined men who just try to try to you know find any way to to get a problem solved um, and when we can't solve a problem it really hurts our egos it hurts our um, our beings in, in some ways so and all and those and and all those announcements start to become those triggers because it does mm -hmm. get your men your mind rushing into that problem solving sphere. Well, great! I'm so glad that you brought that up because I I think if we can have more of an awareness and sensitivity to the men around us that are going through that, it's helpful because unfortunately I think a lot of us kind of get that tunnel vision of that it's because they're not talking about it like we are openly talking about it and crying about it and all the things um, we kind of assume that they're not thinking about it so I appreciate you being so open about this to to bring it to our awareness so we can therefore open that conversation for them as well. Absolutely. And, and part of it goes down to that when that when uh, infertility starts to build or when there's uh, pregnancy loss, the instinct for men is to become the caregiver, to be there for his wife, to lend emotional support, whatever is needed. Um, and at that point, we 
become fairly robotic. We don't, we sort of shut down our feelings and we shut down our emotions, mm -hmm. which anybody would tell you is not the right path to do it. You have to yeah. be able to be open. You have to be able to talk and you have to be able to speak within yourself and find where you are at with when these these items happen, whether it is a pregnancy loss, whether it's a failed IVF, whether it's another round of tests that you have to go through. Um, mm -hmm. it, those are all, are all important parts that you have to digest and you have to do a better job of caring for yourself um, because if you're, if you're being solely robotic and you're only work, worrying about your wife, certainly it's an important part that, and, it is, and it's important to make sure that she is in a good state and as good a state as possible you still have to make sure that you are there because if you're not taking care of yourself, you're doing a, a misservice both to both yourself and to your partner. Mm -hmm. I think I got like a little bit upset with my husband because he was so quiet, you know, going through our miscarriages and everything. And it, I almost felt like he didn't care, but truth be told, I wasn't really giving him the opportunity to listen or talk to him and check in with him. So I think for him, he didn't want to make it about him. You know, he wanted to make sure that I was okay. So, um, but for me, I was just kind of like, God, you're, do you even care? You don't talk about it. You don't do anything, but I didn't really ask about it. So really it's so important to just check in with your partner. It's just a simple, how are you doing? Are you doing okay with everything? And just, that might be just, that little bit they need to open up and, you know, kind of start that conversation. So, um, yeah. I just wanted to add that in and, no, um, I, uh, no, I think your book will help so many. I just wanted to say, I want to get it for my husband. Cause I think it will truly help him, you know, kind of open up and make him want to talk about it a little bit because you are so open that it will encourage other men to do the same. I appreciate that. And yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard. And I, I, it's, I can't even imagine how hard it is um, after you've gone through a miscarriage, because let's face it, that at a, at a certain point in time, you know, the guy, any physicality from the guy is removed from the equation. Um, when in it, when a uh, miscarriage happens for, uh, for a woman, it is not only emotional, it is physically an ordeal. And to, to have that check in and to not be trying to do everything you can for yourself to make yourself get to some sort of point of normalcy, it's natural. Um, but yeah, to have that con to have that that little question and if it, and if you're you're not even able to do it yourself, um, you know, to reach out to a family member or to a friend or to to your partner's friends um, and say, you know, I'm I'm complete and just be honest and say, you know, I'm I'm really not in a good state right now. And everybody will understand that. Um, but can you help me check in on him? I want to make sure that he's still doing well. And yeah, whatever assist you can find. Um, if you can do it yourself, fantastic. But if you if you're having trouble processing it and you need a little bit of a of a help from it, don't be afraid to ask. And it's it's as hard for for women as it is for men um, to ask for support at times and to ask for help, um, especially from an outside party. But it's something that we that we all need to do um, at one point or another in our lives. And especially when you're when you've gone through so much trauma, to make sure that um, that your bases are covered and to make sure that as well that that his bases are covered absolutely you know reach out as as much as you need and i don't i can't understand why anybody would turn down that kind of ask um right. it really is important that you that you build up that community it's it's they say it takes a community to raise a child well it takes an even bigger community to get a child when you have the, those troubles mm -hmm. Absolutely. So where can we find you? Where can we point people to, to find you and your book and all that good stuff? 
Absolutely. Well, the book, first of all, uh, you can go to simonandschuster.com um, and look up the title, Swimming Aimlessly, to, to see where it's being sold around you. Um, and I do highly encourage that in this time where so many retail businesses are struggling, especially book stores, um, go to your local bookstore first and ask if they have it. Um, otherwise, okay. the chains like Barnes & Noble, Amazon are all carrying it. Um, it is going to be available widely um, in all forms. Um, and they can, people are welcome to contact me. Uh, my Twitter is at John Waldman. My Instagram, because I was a little bit later to the game, is John underscore Waldman. Uh, but both, okay. I, I have my DMs open for conversations and to guide um, and to provide support and advice as somebody would like. Wonderful. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, we will certainly be pointing all of our men your way and I, we really do hope that this starts to change the, the dynamic and the ship, so to speak, so that people do have a more comfort in talking about male factor and, and just everything that goes along with it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Pretty Little Tribe. And if you related to this episode, take a screenshot and hashtag Pretty Little Tribe because we want to see those in our DMs so then we can share them in our story too and give you some love back. Of course, if you have a topic idea or want to be on the podcast, email us at prettylittletribe at gmail.com. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks again for joining your tribe today and we will see you next time.